Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 676. If to clear her nose. She told me I reeked of iron and sent me into the forest, telling me not to return until I got the bitter stink of it from my face. So it was with no small amount of curiosity that I dug a piece of broken iron buckle out of my travel sack. I held it out to her nervously, the way you might hand a child a sharp knife. Why do you need it? I asked, trying to appear unconcerned. Valerian said nothing. She held it tightly between her thumb and two forefingers, as if it were a snake struggling to twist around and bite her. Her mouth made a thin line, and her eyes began to brighten from their customary twilight purple to a deep water blue. Can I help? I asked. She laughed. Not the light, chiming laugh I had heard so often, but a wild, fierce laugh. Do you want to help truly? she asked. The hand holding the shard of iron trembled slightly. I nodded, a little frightened. Then go! Her eyes were still changing, brightening to a bluish white. I do not need flame now, or songs, or questions. When I didn't move, she made a shooing motion. Go to the forest. Do not wander far, but do not trouble me for the time it takes to love four times. Her voice had changed slightly, too. Though still soft, it had taken on a brittle edge that alarmed me. I was about to protest when she gave me a terrible look that sent me scampering mindlessly for the trees. I wandered aimlessly for a while, trying to regain my composure. This was difficult, as I was baby-naked and had been shooed away from the presence of serious magic, the way a mother sends a bothersome child away from the cook-fire. Still, I knew I wouldn't be welcome back in the clearing for some time, so I pointed my face dayward and set off to explore. I can't say why I wandered so far afield that day. Valerian had warned me to stay close, and I knew it to be good advice. Any of a hundred stories from my childhood told me the danger of wandering in the Fae. Even discounting them, the stories Valerian herself had told should have been enough to keep me close to the safety of her twilight grove. My natural curiosity must take some of the blame, I suppose, but most of it belongs to my bruised pride. Pride and folly, they go together like two tightly grasping hands. I walked for the better part of an hour as the sky above me slowly brightened into full daylight. I found a path of sorts, but saw nothing living aside from the occasional butterfly or leaping squirrel. With every step I took, my mood teetered between boredom and anxiety. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Do you suppose that pride and folly are Quoth's tragic flaws writ large in front of our very eyes? I I think they are flaws in his character that may sometimes lead to tragedy. They are character flaws. Yeah, I I think you know that I'm a little bit uncomfortable assigning him one or two qualities that are his capital T, capital F, tragic flaws. I don't think anybody could argue that Quoth is prideful and sometimes foolish, and uh, those qualities come out in a variety of ways, big and small in the story. And also the term folly has a bit of import, wouldn't you say? Well, because of the sword? Well, yeah, now I'm wondering, does he have another thing kicking around the inn that's called pride? Oh, no, I have a theory on this. So I think that the reason that Folly is on the wall and he doesn't use it is because Coat doesn't have a lot of pride. Whereas Foth uh, does. That's exactly what I was going to say, Jordana. I think ha, I stole it. Lost his pride, yeah. 
Yeah, as Code, he's lost his pride, but he'll never lose his folly. His folly will stay with him forever, and that's why he had that. And that's the sort of drama queen bitch thing that I think Quoth would do. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Punish Quoth would commission himself a nameplate that says folly to remind him uh, that that will never leave. And there is a little bit of a something interesting here. I can't help but wonder if there's some juju at work because he says, you know, I couldn't, I can't say why I wandered so far explicitly against Florian's instructions. I suppose it was pride and folly and I don't have a better explanation for it, but it does seem like he's not really sure himself why he wandered into the Cathay's glade. Is there something else happening? Was he under the influence of some other magic or uh, you know, did Felurian speak to the Cathay and it foresaw that it she would send him away and that he would wander there? Like it, it does seem a bit like he's he's being led somewhere. Narrator Quoth is unable to explain why he doesn't stay close, as Felurian explicitly says. This is the kind of thing where like I don't think there's any evidence on the page to to affirmatively suggest that something else is happening, but if it turns out later that yes, like there was some mystical compulsion afoot that that drew him towards the Cathaya that that was pre-ordained or arranged somehow, then one could look back at this passage and go, aha, this was a clue. But I think that taken on its own, it's not it's not enough, you know? I agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not suggesting anything so wild as to say that, but it is interesting that it gets explicitly called out. The effect that it has on Felurian is very interesting. It's clearly causing her great pain. The effect the iron has. Yes. Yeah, it's it's this is really well telegraphed because all this is an example of Rothfuss showing us something and allowing it to us to sort of draw our own conclusions from it. She needs this iron to as part of making the shade. Bast doesn't react this way when he touches iron. Like he just he kind of like drops it as though it's a hot coal. But I think that Fullerian it's not only that she's holding it, but she's like exerting some kind of force on it or battling with it in some way. And that's why her reaction is, is more kind of magically woo woo. If if that makes sense. It sort of seems like the iron is transforming her, like the way that it's affecting her eyes and her manner. Maybe that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, see, I read this as like her powering up like that. Her eyes changing color, like are like getting brighter. Like if this was an anime, there would be like, you know, movement lines behind her and, you know, we'd like see her eyes start to glow and, you know, the camera would like spin around her. That's interesting because I read it as her losing power, like as she she like she's drained or she's exerting, but it, it is it is a, taking a great amount of force for her to remain composed. I don't see this as a power up at all. I see this as like, if anything, she's wilting. Her eyes are getting brighter in like in hue, but it's to me, it's like turning almost like bone, like they're getting they're getting a brighter blue, but like they're turning white. They're losing. Their yeah. Eyes. Whereas to me, the combination of her eyes getting brighter and the combination of like her like trembling as she's holding it means that like she's like she is exerting a whole lot of power and like forcing it into the iron. Hmm. Interesting. I think we can agree though that it's very weird that she wants him to go away for like 18 hours. I mean, I don't know if it's weird. It just tells me that like whatever magic she has to do to or with this iron is going to take her entire focus for a long time and she needs him like gone while she does it. Yeah, but like that's a really long time. What that tells me is that whatever she's doing with it is like elaborate powerful magic more powerful perhaps than we've seen her use thus far 
which then tells us like what kinds of lengths she's prepared to go to to make something that'll protect Quoth. Okay, wait, I'm confused. She says for him to go away for the same amount of time that it takes for him to love three times, but you said 18 hours. Are you saying that it takes six hours? Well, how long do you to, for? To do the deed? <laughs> Jeez, Not six hours! Works <laughs> <laughs> <Or> for you. <laughs> you know, it is, it, uh, what is, what is that saying? There's like a saying about like, it's not, it's the quality, not the quantity, except for apply that to time. I don't know. I don't know. But six hours is too that long, man. That is kind man. of a vague instruction because <laughs> is it just like multiply however long it takes you to have sex by four? Or is it if you were going to have sex four times in a consecutive period? Because that would take into account like the the refractory period. That would take into account like, okay, we need a drink of water. Here's a snack. Now let's get back to it. Oh, okay, so we're looking at like 36 hours. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Gee, that's not very reasonable of Florian. Okay, also, wait a minute. I, I don't want to do the math on that. <laughs> Jordana, does your book say four times or three times? Because mine says four times. Mine says four times. Okay, I probably just misremembered it. Let me check. Mine will say whatever Jeremy's book said. Well, anyway, 87 hours is an awful long time for Quoth wandering alone in the fed. But, you know. Oh my God, stop it. You're just throwing out mm. numbers now. Yeah, both being gone for like two weeks. Look, I'm a considerate lover. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. And no, we don't take breaks. <laughs> Damn. All right, if you say so. Is there anything else we want to talk about on this page? I don't think so. The only other thing that strikes me as a little odd is, have we seen any other squirrels in, or any other like, fauna in the fae besides like the butterflies i'm like okay we've seen butterflies hanging around Fulurian, but we haven't as i guess we've seen fish i guess we've seen fish never mind it's just like the squirrel like fish and there was there were some kinds of like animals in the darkness although it's not clear if they were squirrels and there was like something mm-hmm. big and scary they but... just the leaping squirrel thing just leapt leapt out at me uh no joke intended as a bit mundane but uh now that i think about it it's not really that out of place so i don't know why i'm bringing it up why would squirrels be any well more exactly mundane than butterflies butterflies are a little more like i don't know they have a bit more of a magical quality yeah. you know whereas a squirrel is like you know Tree vermin. Mm-hmm. Although if you show them to someone from Europe, uh, they get very excited because North American squirrels don't look anything like whatever they've got in Europe. Oh. Yeah. What have they got? Like, our squirrels are bigger. Their their squirrels oh. look more like what like what uh, like, like a chipmunk. I wonder if like our other rodents are bigger too. Yes. Our our well, I mean, here in Toronto, our raccoons are the largest in the world. Mm. I think. Yeah, but that's that's not that's a different reason though. <laughs> Is it? I imagine that there's just as much garbage for squirrels to eat here as there is in England. I don't know. I mean, squirrels don't really eat garbage, do they? Well, I mean, that too. But, like, what what could possibly be here that is actually making the squirrels go bigger? I think it's just that the, the squirrels are a larger variety, not that they're fat. Yeah, but, like, I, I said The raccoon, problem with our raccoons like, is just well, that they're but fat. No. <laughs> well, no, our raccoons like, are their actually... Like, skeletons are bigger. Distinct. Like, Toronto raccoons are special. Yeah. Oh. Like, and yeah. the, that might be a product of the fact, like, there is a phenomenon that, like, animals... Like if their environment is small and therefore there's like limited opportunities for food and territory and whatever, the animals will get smaller 
over time to sort of compensate for that. That's why there's so many like, you know, smaller varieties of animal in like Madagascar because Madagascar is like a tiny isolated island. So they have hippos there, but they're much, much smaller than the hippos you find on the African mainland. And I think that North America being that it, you know, is a gigantic continent with, you know, up until relatively recently, a lot of, a lot less, you know, clear cutting of forests and whatever our fauna are by and large, like the wolves in North America are bigger than the wolves in Europe just because there was more space for them. And even though the penguins of Madagascar are small, they make up for it with their Mm -hmm. big person. Yeah. They have an outsized cultural impact. I are, are you referring to something specific that the penguins do or like, should I know something about the Madagascar penguins? I think Nick is referring to the beloved children's classic, The Penguins of Madagascar, a spinoff of the Madagascar film franchise that everyone loves. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. I, I guess uh, that's on my homework list. Well, you should really, yeah, you really should. You, you will, your life will be enriched by the adventures of uh, Sarge, Rico, Private, and the other one? <laughs> yes. Sanchez? <laughs> Kowalski, that's it. Put down the false prophet of Happy Feet and embrace the true the true cinematic animated penguin, the penguins of Madagascar. Yeah, sort of a proto-minion. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Whatever you say. Yeah. What what do, what do they call that thing where it's like it's like the Darwinian it's like the, the, the different proto-humanoids, starting with like, you know, the the what was it, you know the the early ape and then it ends with the erect human the homo erectus i'm just imagining like a one of those but it's like all the different it's all the different like sidekick creatures that became front and center in their own franchises leading to minions are you talking about like the like the diagram of like the evolution of man that ends with a guy with a briefcase like that yeah yeah exactly because like it would start with like iago right it would start with like the funny sidekicks in disney yeah and and the and like the hyenas who got their own cartoon yeah exactly and then it would go to like the penguins which have less personality uh and are like cutesier and goofier and then it would end at the minions which are like the perfect smoothing of content mm. The absolute smooth-brained IP slurry. They are also the the perfect smoothing of shape because they're like little pill shapes. Yes, exactly. I read somewhere that the minions were conceived of separately, uh, and they they basically shopped around for a script that they could inject them into. Uh, Despicable Me did not invent the minions; they were like conceived of as a as a like a marketing thing uh, in and of themselves. Exactly. Grown in a lab by some guy who was like, in five years, all the craziest people you know on Facebook, all the absolute like deep fried like monsters you know on Facebook will be posting this and nothing else. Well, I don't know if they envisioned the deep fried memes, but I think they were designed to be like very appealing and uh, and inoffensive, despite the fact that they work for the greatest villains of all time. And uh, yeah, aren't they complicit in the Holocaust? <laughs> that's, well, no, they, I think in the minions movie, they, they go to the Arctic for they, they're uh, like conveniently not around from like 1933 yeah. to 1945. Exactly. Exactly. Awfully convenient listeners. Terribly we will be convenient. awfully convenient and we will tell you the secret history of other pop culture characters on tomorrow's page of the wind. wind.